the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. It was not when he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, and as he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. That's not what brought the greatest glory to Jesus. It was not when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's transfigured and his glory shines out and he's there with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. That, that's not the moment of his greatest glory. The cross is. Of all the moments in Jesus' life that we celebrate and study, his death on the cross is the most impactful, most glorious moment. How could such a gruesome, painful event be his greatest glory? As Pastor Dan examines John's account of the hours leading up to this horrific event, he'll remind us of the love that was displayed in this sacrifice. It was the ultimate act of sacrifice. God made flesh, bearing the punishment that his creation deserved, all in order to restore us into right relationship with him. Now, here's Pastor Dan in the book of John, chapter 13, for today's edition of Ring of Truth. in John chapter 13, we left off last time we were together in verse 31, where it says, So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Well, the the events of Chapter 13, all the way to the beginning of chapter 18, they all take place just in one night. Just one night uh, where Jesus uh, shared the last Passover meal 
with his disciples, what, what we call the Last Supper or communion. It's the same night that Jesus is betrayed by Judas and arrested and carried away to be condemned. It's all, it's all in one night. Uh, chapter 13 takes place in an upper room in a house in Jerusalem where Jesus is sharing this meal with his disciples. Jesus, at this point, he has finished the Passover meal with his disciples. He's washed their feet, if you remember earlier uh, in the chapter. And at this point, Judas has left the meal. And he's gone out into the night to the religious leaders to arrange betraying Jesus and handing him over to them. And so that, that's where we are. Judas has just left the meal, the left the upper room. Verse 31 again says, so he had gone out. So when he had gone out, speaking of Judas there, when Judas went out from the meal into the night, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. So Judas has gone out. Judas has uh, set the events in motion, you know, the arrest in Gethsemane, the trial, the humiliation, the beating, the mocking, the the condemnation, and the crucifixion. All of that is set in motion now. Judas has gone out. And Jesus now says to his disciples, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. Now the Son of Man is glorified. The cross, listen, the cross brings the greatest glorification to Jesus. The cross brings the greatest glorification to Jesus. It was not when he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And as he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And God the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's not what brought the greatest glory to Jesus. It was not when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's transfigured. And his glory shines out and he's there with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. That, that's not the moment of his greatest glory. The cross is. The cross is. It's not when he's working miracles and healing people and casting out demons and raising the dead. It's the cross. It's the cross. The cross brings the greatest glory to Jesus. This is now, this is the pinnacle of his glory. The pinnacle of his glory. And Jesus tells the disciples that. Now, now that these things are set in motion, these things that are about to happen tonight, the arrest, the condemnation, the next day, the crucifixion, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him. This is the pinnacle of God's glory, the cross. But, listen, give me your attention, but for the disciples, for the disciples, this is the worst possible thing that could happen. At least until Sunday morning. This is the worst. This, what, what, is, what is about to transpire for the disciples, from their viewpoint, the crucifixion was the worst possible thing that could happen. It's, it's tragic. It's devastating. It's overwhelming. It's confusing to them. They, they don't understand the cross at, at all. And so I want you to understand here 
from the disciples' viewpoint, this is the worst thing that could happen. From God's viewpoint, it's the greatest thing that happened in all of human history. That tells us and that shows us that sometimes how we view circumstances is the opposite of how God views the same circumstances. And sometimes we can look at circumstances in our life and we see them as tragic or difficult or awful or why is this happening? Why is God doing this? Why is God allowing this? And that very same thing God sees as a great thing for you and the best thing for you. And our viewpoint can be wrong. That's why it's important for us to pray, God, how do you view this? God, how do you view my circumstances? How do you view this situation? God, give me eyes to see it the way that you see it, because I know how I see it. And this, to me, it seems terrible and tragic that I've got to do this. But God, how do you see it? You know, it tells us in Romans chapter 8 that God works all things together for good. So God, show me. I want to see it the way that you see it. Because right now I'm not seeing it the way you see it. I want to see the good in this. I, I want to see it the way you see it. I want to see the glory in this. So again, he says, the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Jesus mentions glory five times in two verses. That's a, that's a lot of glory right there happening just in two verses. Christ's death on the cross glorified Jesus and it glorified the Father. And the word glorify here that's used, it has the idea of revealing it has the idea of showing who God is. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, it was the, it was the greatest revelation of God's love for us. God showed us the love of God. God showed us his love through the cross. Through the death of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8, it says that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us on the cross while we were still sinners. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Through His death on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for our sins. The Bible tells us that our sins, that we've all sinned, every one of us, and that our sins separate us from God. But when Jesus was on the cross, God put our sin upon Him. He made Him sin, the Bible says. And God punished Jesus for our sins. And Jesus paid the penalty and took our punishment in our place as our substitute. In Isaiah 53, it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was put upon him. And so now all of our sins can be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what the sins are or how bad they are or how long you've done them or how messed up your life is because of them. Jesus Christ offers us forgiveness and cleansing of our sin. We, and we no longer have to be separated from God. Through, through his death on the cross, Jesus has reconciled us to God. Second Corinthians 5.19 says, For God was in Christ 
reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. So through Jesus Christ, we're reconciled to God. Through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Jesus reversed the effect of sin on us. You know, when the first man, Adam, disobeyed God and sin, at that point, man's relationship with God was broken And the story of the Bible from from Genesis chapter 3 on, the story of the Bible is the story of redemption. Where man has disobeyed God and broken the relationship. And then from that point, Genesis 3.15, where there's this promise of of the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. Then the unfolding story of the Bible after that is this redemption and this redeemer that's going to come. And it's going to rescue mankind from his sin. There's hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament describing who this Redeemer will be, what he'll be like, what he'll do when he comes. And it's this unfolding story of redemption, looking for this Redeemer who will come. And Jesus Christ is that promised Redeemer. And his death on the cross was the method that God used to bring redemption to mankind. And this is why the crucifixion is the pinnacle of, of the glory of Jesus Christ and the glory of God. Because all of human history from Adam on was pointing to this Redeemer that would come and rescue mankind. And the Redeemer comes and He rescues mankind through crucifixion as a substitutionary sacrifice for us. And that's why this is the pinnacle. This is the height of God's glory, the cross. Jesus here talks about that in these verses. You know, A.W. Pink, in his commentary, said, Christ's death on the cross is the greatest work which the whole history of the entire universe ever witnessed or ever will witness. And that's true. It's the greatest work in all of history. Now look at verse 33. In verse 33, Jesus addresses the disciples as little children. Now, this is a term of endearment. It's a term of tenderness here. The word that he uses here, this is, a, this is like a father speaking to his children with a, a, a tender term, little children. But I want you to notice here that Jesus waited until Judas had gone out before using it. Judas was not one of his little children. Unbelievers are not children of God. They're made in the image of God. They're created by God, but they are not children of God. And it's popular in our culture today to say everybody's a child of God. doesn't matter really what you believe or what you do or how you live. You're a child of God. It's very popular in our culture. But according to the Bible, only those who believe in Jesus Christ 
are children of God. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So it's only to those who believe in Jesus Christ that is given the right to become children of God. Here he says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. And here Jesus is not speaking of his return to the Father in heaven. He's speaking of the cross. The cross is where he's going that they could not come. The work of our redemption was something that Jesus Christ did alone. Uh, Just as in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies alone to atone for the sins of the people. Jesus Christ atoned for our sins alone on the cross. But he goes on in verse 34 now. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment. Remember, this is his, his final night with his disciples. Uh, he's he's going to be arrested that same night and taken away for judgment. Uh, so this is his final time speaking to them before the cross. And his final command to them on this last night is love one another. You know, his last words to them, love one another. And you might, you might be thinking, well, isn't that an old commandment? That's not really a, a, a new commandment, is it? Well, in, in one sense, you're right. This is an old commandment. We see the commandment to love all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, in Leviticus 19.18, it says, uh, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus taught that that's the second greatest commandment in the Bible, second to loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But what Jesus commands here is new. Look what it says again in verse 34. It's new because he says, love one another as I have loved you. So now he raises the bar on love. Not love your neighbor as you love yourself, but love as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? Sacrificially. He laid down his life for us. Unconditionally. Ephesians 5.25 tells us that Jesus gave himself for the church. He, He demonstrated his love by giving himself, dying for us. And, And now he's saying that's how we should love one another, giving ourselves, sacrificing for each other. And then he goes on, look at verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our our love for each other is the one thing Jesus said will identify us as his disciples. Our love. This is the badge that we wear as disciples of Jesus Christ. Our love for one another. And he tells us, you know, when, when outsiders or unbelievers are around us, the thing that they should notice supremely about us is our love for each other. Not our Bible knowledge, not our, not our worship, not our activities, not our political views, 
but our love. That, that that's the thing that is going to capture people's attention, is our love for one another. I know for me, when I was in my mid-20s, uh, and I was a non-believer, and I showed up at a church for the first time and started attending church, uh, I was really impacted by how those people loved each other. I was both uh, attracted to it, I found it intriguing, and I found it very repelling, uh, because I was not that kind of person. Uh, and I, I remember even a guy very early on, I wasn't a believer yet, I wasn't born again, I just started going to this church, and this guy came up one Sunday, and I had been going for a few Sundays, and gave me a hug. I'm not a hugger. But he gave me a hug, and he had a big smile, and he said, I'm so glad you're here, man. And I remember thinking, you don't even know who I am. Like, what are you talking? We've only known each other for a few weeks. But at the same time, I was very intrigued by this whole thing. It's our love for each other that attracts the non-believer. And I have to say, I, one of the things I appreciate about this church is how loving you all are towards each other. And, and, it's, and it's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit is love. And you have such a diverse group. Such a, just a diverse group, ages and ethnicities and uh, careers and education and backgrounds and all of it, married, single, widow, all of it, and yet you love each other so well. That's, that's the thing that Jesus said people should notice, is our love for each other, sacrificial, unconditional love. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, we're told that our love for one another is a sign that we're born again. That's, that's evidence that we're born again is because now we, we love one another. So now that brings us to verse 36. And I love verse 36. In verse 36 now, Simon Peter goes back to Jesus' earlier statement when he said, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus just gave them this commandment to love one another and Peter is back two sentences ago, and he's hung up on that. And he, so he says in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? <laughs> and Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Now Jesus is going to the cross. Afterward, he will return to the Father in heaven. So he says to Peter, you cannot follow me now to the cross but you shall follow me afterward to heaven. Jesus went to the cross alone so that we can go to heaven together with him. And this is such a wonderful promise to every believer in Jesus Christ. We shall follow Jesus to heaven one day. Isn't that great? You know, just in the next chapter, John 14, in the first few verses... Uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 14. Jesus will say, so this is the same night, the same event. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's that, you know, that's the, that's the glorious hope of believers. That one day we'll go to be with Jesus and he'll receive us to himself and we'll forever be with, with him. He asked me how I know and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. 
That's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. Thanks for joining Pastor Dan as he continued his verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of 1 John. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you'll be able to find it on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so you never miss an edition of this program. Every time we post something new, you'll be notified. We'd love to hear from you, too, and learn how Ring of Truth has impacted your life. Please take some time soon to give us a call at 410-491-4592. Please let us know how we can be praying for you, too. And if God's doing something wonderful, we'd love to rejoice with you. That number again to reach us is 410-491-4592. Do you live in the Baltimore, Washington area? If so, you're invited to join us here at Calvary Chapel this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. Find out more at our website. One more time, that's calvaryec.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Tune in next time to learn more from the book of 1 John with Pastor Dan, right here on Ring of Truth.